This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Well, in early May, officials from over 30 countries will meet in Prague to work out security principles for the next generation of telecom networks. Governments are preparing for 5G networks, which is 100 times faster than what's currently used. The Chinese believe they will be the leaders globally, but the U.S. would like to play a role in this and is pushing allies against using Chinese company Huawei technology. And to that end, the Federal Communications Commission will hold its largest spectrum auction ever in December of this year, and the government is establishing a $20.4 billion fund to improve Internet access. So where will this all take us? Kevin Warbach is a professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School and also a former counsel for new technology policy with the FCC. He joins me in studio. On the phone with us is Jeffrey Reed, professor of electrical and computer engineering and founding director of wireless research group Wireless at Virginia Tech. Kevin, great to see you again. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Jeff, great to have you with us today. Well, th- well, thank you for the invitation. Thank you. How do you view, Kevin, the, the recent developments around 5G? Obviously, there is a rush, a run to try and be the first to be able to put forth this technology, which is going to be very important to, to us globally. It's important, but it's somewhat funny how uh, politicians and industry folks and others want to make this into a metaphor for some sort of race, that this is something new and there's going to be a winner and a loser. 5G is called 5G because it's the fifth generation of wireless technology. Um, So obviously there were four prior generations. These are things that evolve and develop and get implemented over a long period of time. They involve uh, extensive standards work in the industry. They involve um, extensive deployment work. Uh, You mentioned the spectrum auctions. The FCC has been holding spectrum auctions for 25 years and was providing spectrum well before then, um, all of these spectrum auctions for the high-frequency spectrum to be used for 5G have been in the works for a long time. So, yes, it's important, and there are these important issues, uh, as I'm sure we'll get into, with with Huawei and China and so forth. But I I think that most people who don't know the technology here – will think that it's sort of uh, a zero-sum game, that someone's going to win 5G and someone's going to lose, and yeah. this is happening right now. And it's a lot more complicated than that. Jeff? Well, I, I agree with Kevin that um, this is not a zero-sum game. Uh, but the, the technology is very important. It's very important for the U.S. to adopt this technology early. And the reason is that it's going to form the basis for innovations in a variety of areas, such as smart grid and and smart connected automobiles um, and factories of the future. So the sooner that we can get this technology, the sooner we can build on it for many different application areas. We're joined uh, here in studio by Kevin Warbach here of the Wharton School on the phone with Jeff Reed of Virginia Tech. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So they they put these these expectations on the, the changes that are going to happen when 5G does take us uh, you know into those next steps, Kevin. For those people listening to us right now, for the average consumer, how will they see the difference moving forward? This will unfold over a period of time. And uh, part of what's important with 5G, 
the the sticker uh, item that people hear about is what you mentioned, faster speeds. Um, and that's certainly what the technology promises, not, you know, potentially gigabit speeds over wireless fast enough that for the first time, really, wireless could be a competitive alternative for wired systems like like cable and phone-based and fiber-based systems for basic broadband access. But really what's innovative about 5G is not just faster speeds. It's that it allows for you know, some of the variety of applications that actually Jeff was talking about. It allows for deploying different kinds of networks for different applications. And most of them are things behind the scenes. So yeah. you're not going to necessarily have any idea – what the wireless technology is that's in your uh, smart car right. or in your smart home or in the smart electric grid. We need to advance the technology to enable a lot of those applications, but many of them are not going to be things where the end user is going to be aware in the same way as you are when you open up, you know, you take out your phone right. and you try to download a video, you see how fast it is. It'll be better for that. But really, the, the broad innovation is expanding to these other uses. To a degree, we're talking about basically the infrastructure that, that would be, in many cases, behind it. Again, something that people will end up seeing the potential impact down the road, but you may not see what actually goes into the process. There also are so many other variables at yeah. play that, that people think that sort of there's 4G and it's this fast, and there's 5G and it's that fast. Sure, yeah. And 3G was slower. It's not exactly the way it works. In, in broad brush, yes. But so much depends on who your carrier is, how they configure their network, what your device is, where you are, and so forth. Um, so it'll be an evolving process, just as we have much better mobile phones today than we had five years ago or even yeah. 10 years ago when we first got smartphones and 10 years before that. Things will continue to get better, but it's not that there will be sort of one moment where suddenly everything will be transformed. Jeff? Well, historically, there's always been a, a a lot of anticipation of new wireless technologies, um, 2G, 3G, 4G, and now 5G. And historically, um, they've rolled out slower than most people expected. They expected instantly overnight to have this new capability. And it doesn't happen. It takes time to, to grow these networks. But also historically, when they are fully deployed, they tend to exceed expectations. They exceed the initial expectations and have a more um, dramatic effect. Um, my gut feeling is there's probably 5G applications that we will eventually have that we're not even thinking about today. Uh, it's an enabler. It will allow new innovations. Um, and I do agree with Kevin that there are two particular areas that are very important to watch. Uh, one is, will wireless now become a competitor to the wireline service providers? Um, it's difficult to say if that's going to be the case. If you hear some of the hype from some of the companies, um, the Comcast of the world could be out of business in a few years. <laughs> um, so that would have a dramatic effect on increasing competition in the broadband market. And we really need more competition in that market. Competition breeds excellence. Most people tend to be 
angry at their broadband service provider. And part of that anger comes from they're helpless. They have to stick with that service provider no matter what. Uh, the second aspect is ultra-reliable and low-latency communications. This is when where we're going to see a whole set of new applications um, being able to cr- control, for instance, unmanned aerial vehicles, yeah. uh, cars talking with other cars, and cars talking with people to avoid collisions, um, cars planning a strategy together, um, and how to deal with a traffic situation. Uh, so we've got some really interesting technologies that are going to be enabled by 5G. Kevin? Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. Um, I agree completely that we need more competition in broadband in the U.S., but here's the problem. Uh, guess who are the two dominant <laughs> wireless operators that have all the spectrum or a big chunk of the spectrum in the service, AT&T and Verizon, right. who, of course, are also major wired broadband players. Now, it's not quite as simple as that. Uh, you've got Sprint and T-Mobile uh, who want to merge, and you've got Comcast all the yeah, and potentially other players. Right. Um, but again, just having a new technology for wireless, even though it has that possibility, is not necessarily going to get to what we need to. And that's that's part of why you hear this big announcement from the FCC with the White House about we're doing these auctions and so forth. And then you say, well, okay, where is the competition actually going to come from? Right. They don't want to talk about that. Right. Well, but uh, then also touch on for a second uh, this fund that, that uh, they want to build out, 20 20- billion dollars or so to improve internet access around the country, which is something we've talked about in the past that is is probably something that does need to be addressed, especially when you talk about some of the rural areas around the United States and some of the other areas where people don't have access to the internet because it, it becomes such a valuable piece to living our lives and doing business these days. It is a real problem. There are uh, still too many Americans who don't have broadband service and many more who have inferior quality broadband service. But some of that is inevitable. It's it's harder and more expensive to provide wireless service and wireline service in rural and hard to reach areas. And so, you know, we have to decide how much money should we tack on and add to the phone bills of people, including low-income people in urban areas, to subsidize that. It's something we've done for decades and decades for phone service and for broadband service. It's something the Obama administration, FCC, completely restructured to shift it from a phone-based subsidy program to a broadband-based subsidy program. So there is money that is flowing to that. It is a real issue. Um, but this announcement of this $20 billion fund was uh, incredibly short on the details. Right. Is any of it new money? Where is that going to come from? How much are we talking about additional taxes? This is a, a tax sure. on yeah. people's phone service. I yeah. think it's a worthwhile tax. Yeah. Um, but, uh, again, you, you heard an announcement from the FCC chairman about what we're going to do as though the money was just going to appear. Right. It's It's certainly an important debate we need to have about – how much and how efficiently we can subsidize. But the further and further out you go, the more and more inaccessible places are, um, at some point there's a limit on, again, how much money we should spend subsidizing. And we again, we, we're not really having that debate. We're just talking about this in the abstract, not connected to the thing we talked about before, which is competition. It's if you yeah. open up to competition more, that's what will get more innovators and entrepreneurs to go out to those rural areas. Jeff? Yes. You know, I, I live in 
um, a very rural part of southwest Virginia. It's cold country here. Uh, and I get calls all the time from uh, supervisors or, or economic development agencies. And they're wanting advice on how to get broadband to their particular area. And some of the stories I hear are so heart-wrenching. Um, there was one county, um, their, their principal income was from mining coal, and they had a um, furniture manufacturer there, 200 employees, and they told them that they were going to move their whole operation just because they weren't getting adequate broadband service for loss of jobs for those areas. And the, the counties have tried things that you would think would work, uh, but haven't. For instance, one county built a complete macrocellular base station, probably spent a million dollars, put up a big tower, uh, ran fiber to it, very expensive, and then offered it to service providers for a hundred dollars a month. Right, a million dollar access for a hundred dollars a month, and they couldn't get takers for it. So uh, it's very frustrating for these these places. It stifles their growth. Yes, it isn't profitable or as profitable for these companies to service those areas, but it has far-reaching economic uh, ramifications. And I I agree with Kevin that competition will help with this problem. Um, And we may see more competition. I I am hopeful that we will be seeing more competition in the future enabled by technology. Yes, there are things that we need to watch out for. particularly service providers who are both landline providers and wireless providers in the the same area. But nevertheless, uh, I think we will see more competition. So, and Kevin, how do entities from outside the United States, like Huawei, end up playing a role in this process? There was a story the other day about Huawei being open to selling 5G chips to Apple for their iPhones. Obviously, there has been a conflict between Huawei and the United States government. President Trump put out a tweet a few days ago about wanting to have potentially a a wholesale 5G network. We have a lot in play, even though a lot of these issues are at the local level, we have a lot in play here at the national and international level. Oh, absolutely. So this is now a different issue. So we've been talking about the service, what goes to the end user. But behind that is a whole lot of infrastructure. Some of the infrastructure is the physical towers that Jeff was just talking about. And one of the things that 5G requires is a much denser network. So you need many more nodes. That's partly how the capacity increases, which means either more towers or more cells in more places. You need uh, equipment uh, that's running on those uh, cell sites. Yep. And then you need chips uh, and that go into people's handsets and devices. Yep. And they are companies that make that. And now the biggest company in the world is Huawei, which is a Chinese company. And um, there's been a lot of concern 
um, not just starting with this administration, but certainly in this presidential administration, about the security concerns of a Chinese-based firm, which potentially has links to the Chinese government and has ignored sanctions and so forth, um, being the dominant player in this technology. And part of the problem is um, the U.S. is no longer in a position where it can tell the rest of the world, don't use this company's technology. Um, U.S.-based carriers generally don't have a great deal of Huawei equipment in their networks for exactly that reason. But most European countries um, and and, uh, providers in other parts of the world do. Um, And for them, it's very difficult to say, well, don't use the gear that you've got now, their next 5G thing, rip it all out and go find someone else. (laughs) They're just not going to do it. So it's a real issue. I think the the security of these networks is a a huge, huge concern. But um, we can't address it just by getting up there and uh, saying we're, we're going to stop this from happening. We need to invest in companies in the U.S. and bring trust around the world um, that, for example, the U.S. is not putting similar kinds of backdoors into equipment made sure. by U.S.-based service providers. So um, this is really a, the big challenge. Jeff? Well, Huawei um, has had a, a tremendous growth over the decades. And a key reason for that is they produce very inexpensive equipment. It's it's much cheaper than their European competition. Um, They don't have American competition, by the way. Our infrastructure providers in the U.S. got out of that business about 20 years ago. So... um, even though the security threat exists with Huawei, companies tend to look the other way on that. They're principally wanting to maximize profits, lower cost, uh, and security, well, yeah. that's yeah. way down on their list in yeah. terms of priorities. And, and that becomes obviously going back to another point, Kevin, that we've talked about in the past, is the the issues surrounding security and 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 being able to address them as we move forward with these technologies. Well, it's not just going to happen on its own. So yeah. we hear this rhetoric all the time. That this, you know, if you listen to the press conference with the FCC and the president talking about five G. Over and over again, they said, well, let the market decide. Government shouldn't decide. Let the market decide. Well, here's an example where the market decided. Yeah. The market decided we want the cheaper gear. Yeah. We're not going to um, prop up companies or, or buy gear that is um, a, be- a worse business decision because of public interest concerns like security. Right. Now we're running and saying, well, with regard to public interest concerns about security, government should step in and really regulate what happens. But with regard to public interest concerns about, say, competition, which we were talking about. <laughs> Government should have nothing to do with it. it this is the, the kind of schizophrenia that we've heard a lot from those of one political view on telecommunications. And, and the reality is the public interest matters. These are our communications networks. They yep. are the foundation for not only the digital economy, but for, for free exchange of information. Yeah. And I think it's appropriate to think about security, but we need to understand the broader context. Well, I, I think, uh, Jeff, that it's an important conversation to have because of the fact that uh, you know the, the mountains of data that is being transferred via these networks each and every minute uh, of every day right now, and we know you know the the growth and importance of data, especially on the digital side, uh, over the last two decades or so. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
we we have to be very careful and I, I agree there is a role for government here I also agree that government hasn't stepped up to the plate as much as it should have over the years and now we're sort of reading up reaching a panic point <laughs> um, because the Chinese may dominate the world infrastructure in telecommunications and that gives them quite a few intelligence advantages uh, as well as military advantages and having that capability. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're joined in studio by Kevin Warbach from here at the Wharton School. And also joining us, Jeff Reed from Virginia Tech University. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So in terms of the build-out, Kevin, what kind of a time frame do you think we are looking at where the majority of the public is, is using 5G at this point? Oh, uh, order of magnitude a decade. I mean, Jeff would probably be a better yeah. expert on that. But as he said, this is something that fills out over a period of time. There's, there's so much emphasis on who's first. Yeah. And you look at what first means. It means you've got one handset and stuff available in one sure. city with early equipment and so forth. So uh, there has to be a turnover of the equipment. There has to be a turnover of the devices. Um, yeah. How often do people get new cell phones these days? So, um, and, and also we're talking about these new applications like smart grid and vehicles and so forth. Those take a period of time. So it was roughly a decade really with all these prior technologies from when they sort of first started to go into production until when they really were dominant. Jeff? Yeah, I, I would say somewhere between uh, five to ten years out. Um, it they'll roll out with uh, higher profit margin devices first, um, and then gradually fill in the the rest of the technology. Um, but it will be a, a slower rollout, I think, than most people anticipate. But it'll have far-reaching ramifications. But for the consumer, Jeff, that that will be going to buy that new smartphone. Let's say in, in five years' time, what should they expect? What you know? Obviously, still we still have a lot of people in this country that have to worry about their wallet and make sure that they are you know that they are uh, be, being able to put food on their own tables. So, what what should the average consumer expect moving forward? Well. Um, I, it's going to be expensive for them to roll out this 5G network. Um, as Kevin mentioned, typically it's going to require a lot more base stations to be able to support that kind of a data rate. Um, <laughs> so I'm anticipating higher phone bills initially. Um, now, there will be a lot of high data rates advertised you'll probably see ads run, you know, get gigabits per second to your phone. Now, the reality is um, no service provider is going to give you a disproportionate share of their resources. Um, the data rates probably won't be as advertised, but they will be fast. And, and there will be new applications. One of the uh, applications... Uh, that's being put forward as a potential 
killer app for 5G is augmented reality. Yeah. Uh, being able to superimpose on your field of view augmentation that may explain the things around you. Um, I think that that could have a very dramatic effect, uh, impacting everything from tourism to education. Kevin? Augmented reality, sure, is, is one of the things that Silicon Valley is very aggressively pushing towards. Frankly, though, the the lesson that we've seen time and time again is that all the predictions turn out to be inaccurate, at least to some degree, about these new technologies, because it's a combination of the technology itself and the industry business models around it in terms of delivering the service and delivering the applications and the uses to make it worthwhile. So, uh, yeah, all of these things are going to happen, but it's kind of a fool's errand to just predict in the abstract when and how. Uh, I think we really need to focus on what we've been having most of this conversation around, which is what are the issues about building out these networks? What are the questions we have? Some of these issues about new business models, for example, new forms of competition have sort of been uh, on the side. Guidelines. Yeah. I wrote a, an op-ed for the New York Times uh, a couple of months ago um, endorsing an idea that actually some people associated with the Trump campaign, the Trump administration, <laughs> were supporting before they, they turned around and opposed it, which is that this is an opportunity to look at new business structures for wireless, wholesale open access structures that allow many other providers to compete and provide the retail service yeah. as opposed to having just a handful of providers. Ultimately, I think that kind of business model innovation – is what's going to drive the the technical innovation and the service innovation. As long as we have just a few providers that are controlling the choke points, whether it's the hardware or the service provision, then I think that's going to be a damper on innovation. But, but because of the structure that we have right now, and, and obviously, as you said, some of these providers taking the, the, the control uh, the way that they have over the last few years, do you think it's possible that we can get back to that type of that type of mindset, to that type of philosophy for business, where you have a variety of providers out there? Uh, I hope so. Uh, and I think you know more and more you hear venture capitalists and software providers and technology providers who want to build on the network yeah. saying, we need to go back to the open internet that we had 20 years ago, yeah. the internet where you didn't need permission. And, and they're not talking about permission from the government. They're talking about permission from the infrastructure providers. Right. And I hear that more and more in Silicon Valley. Again, it, it sometimes comes into conflict with a political philosophy sure. yeah. that says we shouldn't force that to happen. We should let the market decide. But but the problem is that the market's not deciding right now. It's a handful of dominant entities that are deciding. Jeff? Well, it is difficult to predict the future. But one of the easier calls to make is if there are new applications that save money. Selling new things that will save money is usually a, a sure bet. And, <laughs> yeah. and there are there are applications of 5G that will end up in saving money. I also agree that the business model is very important, and we're starting to see some hints of new business models today. One of them is, is spectrum sharing. Um, there will begin operation this year something called the Citizens band or or citizens broadband um, it is a 
portion of the spectrum in which you will be able to operate a private cellular telephone network. So a utility or a hospital or a campus could have their own cell phone network that could be integrated into the wider telephone network. Um, I think that that could be a beginning of a whole bunch of new innovations with this business model. It's the equivalent of, of now allowing leasing instead of always having to buy something. It opens up a whole set of new business models. Jeff, thanks very much for your insight. Greatly appreciate your time on the phone today. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Great seeing you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for coming in. Kevin Werbach from here at the Wharton School, Jeffrey Reed at Virginia Tech University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 